Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Universal Dialect Show. This is show number 18, and the bangers just keep coming. Um, just to let you know, um, I appreciate everybody who's uh, supported the show. Um, the My, my uh, goal was really just to do one to see what it was like. After I knocked that one out the way, my next goal was 10, and then after that is 20. So I'm only two away from hitting 20. So I want to you know, let everybody know I appreciate the support. Um, I have another great, great guest. Um, probably one of the the coolest individuals that I've never met. He's he's got such positive energy, like straight up, like it like it comes through. Every time I hear you on a podcast, it comes through, and uh, you you it's very inspiring. I just want to let you know that. Um, he's known as Mystic Mark Stevens. How you doing, my man? I'm doing great. Pleasure to be here. It's uh yeah, it's nice to hear that, man. I I'm you know just a regular guy, so you know. As as happy as I might appear, I'm just going through life the same way anyone else is. So it means a lot to me to hear that that I, I invoke that response in you and and others possibly. So, yeah, man, it's it's cool to have you here. And uh, twenty podcasts is not an easy thing to do. I remember when I started my podcast, it took at least a couple of months before I even got to twenty and got in the groove of it. And now I do three episodes to you know two to three episodes a week. So I've like kicked the pace up a bunch, but for the first 50 episodes, it was sort of slow rolling, kind of figuring things out one step at a time. And, and I didn't have any of the equipment that I do now. So it uh, looks like you're doing pretty good for episode 18, Chris. It's a, uh, it's a yeah. pleasure to be here. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Um, th This started because uh, normally what I do, you know, I'm my own worst enemy. So normally what I do is when I start on something, like a project, like I'm, I'm a graphic designer. So I've started like a clothing line like two or three times, but I always like uh, psych myself up and then I get let down. So mm -hmm. this time I decided I'm going to do a show and I'm just going to do it strictly for fun. And wherever it goes, it goes, you know, I'm not going to put any like added pressure on it, mm -hmm. you know, and just do this for fun and see, see what happens. You know what I mean? All right. On. Well, let's have some fun, man. Some of All these right. topics could be a little dark, but uh, I think it's fun to, know about the world around you uh you know being aware we started talking about bruce lee and that's a big thing uh with the martial artist mindset is you want to be aware of your surroundings and uh, so many people walk through life blind to the reality that they're in you know so part of being a martial artist is 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 understanding the world around you and you can't ignore some of the darker aspects uh like secret societies and uh, occult magic rituals and all these other things that get a lot of attention online nowadays um i can't claim to be an expert but i've been fascinated with this stuff for quite a while now um and i've i've done i've done my uh you know pondering and and wondering and now i feel like i'm at a point where i have a sort of idea of what it kind of looks like roughly and now it's like filling in the blanks, right? That's kind of where I think I'm at now. So it's really nice of you to say that uh, about me. And uh, I hope I can live up to that pressure that you just <laughs> put on. No, no, it's dude, there's no pressure because I know that there's other people that have said the same thing. And, 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 for, and what I notice is that it just comes out naturally. So it's not anything that's for, so there's no pressure there, but let me, let me let everybody know that you're a researcher, you're a podcaster of a great, show called my family thinks i'm crazy um you're the founder i believe of alt media united is that correct 
Yeah, part part founder, uh, Alex Garris, host of Skeptico podcast, helped me out with that. And uh, yeah, I like to call myself the founder, but he likes some credit too. <laughs> so what what is what is Alt Media United? If you can give a brief summary of that, please. Yeah. So the idea behind Alt Media United really was inspired by Sam Tripoli's podcast, uh, The Union of the Unwanted. Are you uh, part of that group? Are you part of a member? No, well, I've been on the show. I've certainly been on the show. I don't think that there's a sort of like membership to that show. Oh. It's really just like if you've been on the show, you're a part of it, so to speak. Cool. Um, but, you know, obviously working with uh, Sam Tripoli, booking his podcast, you know, Tinfoil Hat. I was able to get on that show probably earlier than most people. You know, I, I only had like 30 episodes of my podcast out uh, when I first went on the union of the unwanted. And those guys are really nice. Charlie, Ricky, Mike, they're all great dudes. And what I realized as I was podcasting with them and as I was a fan of their show, it only had gone on for 20 or so episodes, but it, it was about a year into its, uh, into how, when it started. So anyways, kind of getting caught up in the details here. The union of the unwanted was a great idea, but I felt like there needed to be a backbone, you know, cause you have this like concept, this great concept of bringing people from all different walks of life, uh, people who are traditionally unwanted by the mainstream and giving them a platform <clears throat> and not just one type of thinker, you know, a diverse amount of variety of people with different perspectives that are all under that same umbrella of not really, appreciated by the mainstream and i saw that same thing going on with podcasts right you have all of these great podcasts but for the most part none of them are in the same genre you know some of them are in news some of them are in comedy some of them are in society and culture like all of these podcasts that fit into like a truth mindset a spiritual interest in ancient history like all these things that you might associate with like coast to coast or you know the conspiracy world, Alex Jones, like they didn't really have a home on Apple or Spotify or any of these platforms where people engage with this content. So I thought, what if we had a website, altmediaunited.com, where there's no charge, everybody gets on for free. And because, you know, podcasters have an audience already, it's going to generate interest in the other podcasts that are on there because people are like, yeah, I love this show, but I listen to all the episodes. I want to hear more stuff. So this is a cool um, sort of mixing ground, melting pot, so to speak, of of different cult uh, genres in the same sort of subculture of podcasting. Uh, and, and, you know, we like to help podcasters on the back end with like tech stuff. And we're big supporters of the podcasting 2.0 uh, movement that Adam Curry started to sort of break uh, podcasting free from Apple's control uh, prior to Adam Curry's podcast 2.0 uh, Apple had like an index that held all of the podcasts. So when Jones got censored, they were able to just take his podcast and eliminate it from the index, which affects other podcast apps, right? If I'm using some little podcast app that takes their list from Apple's index, well then, you know, it seems like Apple has an unfair control there. So ever since Adam Curry did this, it sort of changed the game with podcasting and, and gave us a, a, a sort of area on the internet where free speech could be protected. And I 
quickly realize like, whoa, a lot of people don't even know this. Let's start talking about this. Let's start generating interest in this. And, you know, I've helped a bunch of people start a podcast, which is great. I've helped people, you know, figure out a, a strategy for a podcast that they had going and maybe they were going to give up on it. Uh, and then they had a resurgence because now they're a part of this community. They make new friends, different podcasters and I'm sure you realize this. It's cool to podcast with other podcasters because you have stuff in common. You're going through the same thing. You're interested in the same stuff for the most part, and you have a similar goal. So Alt Media United really is just a, a, a community. You know, we don't want to exclude anybody. We like everybody to play nice with each other and uh, and and help each other because a, a rising tide raises all ships. So that's that's kind of the the ethos with Alt Media United. You know what we actually do is is very simple. It's it's just a website. You know, and and the relationship that I have with each individual podcaster, uh, it's up to them. You know what they want to where they want to go. They could come to me for help. They could never talk to me. You know, it's, it's not a big deal. You know, some, yeah, some podcasters haven't, you know, I make them a, a, a page on our website and, you know, never hear from them again, which is totally fine. You know, as long as they're, they're getting a benefit from being on the site, we're happy to have them. Right. So, yeah. So I, th the way I see it, when you were talking about like Alex Jones and the stuff getting pulled, is very similar to like an artist not owning his masters. And then, you know, the record company, does whatever they want with it you know whereas a lot of independent artists they they're smart they're like no i'm gonna own my masters and then they can just do whatever they want with it right um right. and also sounds like uh, alt media is a place where you know you have a smorgasbord of people you bounce ideas off of each other but the main thing is respect you know right right yeah that the, you'd be surprised uh how quickly we had to sort of implement those sorts of rules but you know you get a bunch of people together and they start bumping heads and right uh, all nothing but love to anyone who's right. been a part of alt media united and, and since left but for the most part we have like you know 90 percent of people who have joined have, have remained a part of it because they they see the benefit and, and we only have like a hundred or so podcasts on the website and we're sort of growing i'd be happy to have your podcast on and yeah it's you know, it's about time that we legitimize this type of thing. You know, I mean, Alex Jones, for worse or for better, he he kind of gives a certain reputation to this type of content. And I feel like Alt Media United is uh, is is sort of neutral in the sense that we're not like interested in anybody's opinions. If you're talking about the truth and you care about the truth, you know, we'll put your podcast on our site. Right. That's pretty much the, the gist of it, because. That's what I want. I want to be able to go out and, and find new podcasts and not spend like an hour looking for a, a cool new podcast. It, just go to one place and find it all. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, man. So so listen, not a lot of people know who you are. I know who you are. I've been following you for a while, but not a lot of people know who you are. Can you just give us an, uh, and spare no details, just the origin story of how you obtained all this knowledge? Like what got you started on this path? Hmm. Yeah, I've always been a like a book nerd type. <laughs> you know, Nothing wrong like, with that. Nothing wrong with that. Oh no, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of it. For a while it wasn't like a it wasn't like how I opened <laughs> describing myself. But uh but here it seems to fit. I, I really just feel like I've always been interested in in learning and school never felt like the appropriate place for that. There were some cases where I had classes that I learned things, but for the most part, like it was very rare to have that kind of experience at school. 
Um, and then I started just, you know, using the internet at a young age, which opened me up to a whole bunch of information that probably wouldn't have been available. And that mixed with like going to the library and, and just like having an outlet of reading. And like, I remember my grandparents would take me to like the bookstore. So it was always in my part of my life to like learn, you know, and, and learn independently of school. You know, I, I wasn't somebody who rejected learning because of school. I rejected the learning they were giving us at school. And I sought out, you know, learning about things that I did care about, which, you know, as I got older, didn't really amount to much because I dropped out of college and, and realized like, OK, I got to work. I got to you know find jobs where, you know, I'm not like totally hating my life. So I went for a delivery driver job and that ended up being a blast because I could, you know, smoke all the weed I wanted uh, at work and and I could read books in between deliveries and. I had a, a funny boss who would always sort of like tell me like, oh, Mark, stop smoking weeds. Like, you know, he was <laughs> he was like he was like cool, but he was also kind of like a strict like dad figure in a way. Um, so that was that was like where it kind of started. You know, I dropped out of school. I started working at this Chinese food delivery place and my boss would tell me like, you're a dreamer because I'm reading books and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm going to do something with this one day. And he's like you know, the most practical type of person you can think of, like pragmatic, you know, uh, born in China, moved to America, all business, no nonsense. And he's like, you're a dreamer, like, get the hell out of here with this crap, you know? So I had that element and my my actual dad is kind of like that too, but he's a little kinder. And, um, and it was just like that sense of, ah, screw you, I'm going to prove you wrong, you know, like, screw you. So I always looked for jobs where I had that freedom of like, I could learn, I could do my thing. I'm not going to get like told to stop smoking weed, which a couple of years ago was a big problem. Like you smoke weed, you can't get a good job, you know? So that like really limited my growth as an individual and probably got me more to where I am now because I couldn't like go straight into a, a, a life sucking job. I liked smoking too much. I'm like, I'm not going to give that up to go be miserable and have, you know, my ins health insurance paid and all that crap. So I've just followed this kind of unorthodox path. And interestingly enough, at that Chinese food delivery job, one day, uh, an old friend walked in and this kid, he was like the first conspiracy theorist I ever met. Okay. In, in middle school, he was telling me about you know, 9-11 was an inside job. Go look at this video. Watch Loose Change. And I had been suspicious, you know, like you mentioned at the beginning, like uh, I was in school when 9-11 when happened and I was only in third grade. So it was like, wasn't really something I was thinking about uh, logically. It was more like the emotion of it. Like, wow, our country's going to war. These people must be real bad. You know, I just bought into all the propaganda because that's what my parents and my grandparents were absorbing, absorbing on the television. The television. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I didn't realize this at the time because, you know, I didn't have the perspective. But this was like a pretty important stage in American media because around 9-11, they started doing the 24 hour news cycles. And I remember just like being really like like turned off by the news, but then at the same time interested. Like I knew there was a catch, but I was interested in learning like what the hell's going on, 
but it, it never made me feel comfortable. Like a lot of people are comfortable from the news. Like they, they feel like they're, they are in the know and whatnot. I never felt like that. I always felt like, all right, there's something more. I got to dig deeper here. And uh, back to my friend, Mikey, who told me about uh, this loose change thing in like middle school, he comes into this Chinese food delivery restaurant that I was working at. He didn't know I worked there. He just like walked in, recognized me. He was like, what's up, Mark? How you been? You're working here now. And I, I told him I dropped out of school and he said, oh, you should come and join this fraternity that I'm in like fraternity. Why would I join your fraternity? Like, I don't even go to your school. He's like, I don't go to school either. I'm like, hold on. You're in a fraternity. You don't go to school, you know? And at that age, I'm like, hell yeah. Like I want to party at college. Like I didn't get a chance to do that. I went to a community college. They didn't have parties, you know, it was basically like high school all over again, you know? So partly why I dropped out, it just was so boring. So the, the, it kind of interested me. And I had other friends who had been a part of this fraternity who had like asked me to, to come and be a part of it. One of my best friends actually was a part of it. And I drove him there and, and I remember dro driving him there to drop off this mattress. And I'm like, you live in this filthy place? Like, why would you, you know, like this, this sucks. Like, why would you want to hang out here? You know? And then a couple of years later, my buddy Mikey comes and he's like, yeah, you should, you should come check it out. It's a lot of fun. So I go and, and I find this like place of like degenerates, like animal house, you know, and they send me a text like, do you want to enter the rabbit hole? Like you will never come back the same. Like, you know, this whole like initiation thing that they do to the pledges. Right. And I really I can't like out of respect for my former brothers, I don't want to reveal any of the like the pageantry of the fraternity. It's all just like games and initiation like you know, it's, it's the psychology of, of joining a group, right? I started to understand that a little better through my experience with the fraternity. But the reason I bring that up is the fraternity offered a, a place where a, I could interact with a bunch of people my age. So I didn't become like a loner. Cause I was sort of drifting into like loner dude, like just being a total loner. <laughs> like solitude. Yeah. Well, yeah, because the driving job was weird hours. So I couldn't like hang out. If you're a Chinese delivery guy, like you're not hanging out with your friends no. who are going out on Friday night because you're working that shift. You know, if you want to make money, you got to work that shift. So this was a, a good like flip for me. My car had just broken down. So the, the Chinese food job was over. So I started living at this fraternity and I got a job pretty quickly because one of the brothers, you know, was a manager at uh, like a sort of like a door-to-door -door sales type gig. Right. So he hired me there. And uh, it was just amazing. Like, wow, like the first experience of like following your intuition and it actually working out, you know, because not only did I get a job pretty quickly after being in a rut, you know, like losing my, my vehicle, uh, I find a place to live that's not my dad's house, <laughs> you know, and right. I also have like all these interesting people around. So, you know, I get into smoking weed more and doing psychedelics and all the things that young people do together. But what's interesting about this fraternity is they had a sort of like weird history themselves. Like they started uh, as an official fraternity at this college. And then there was a sort of fraternity rivalry. Another fraternity didn't like how much fun they were having. So they got Mark, them banned from the college. What, what what college was this? Can you tell me what college or is it? Yeah, it's fine. It's in um, Connecticut, Southern Connecticut University. So okay. This, okay, this would be like near Yale, but not 
Yale, right? A different right. college. And um, they had a, a weird sort of history, like I said, where they were once a, a proper fraternity and then kind of their reputation was smeared and they had to go underground. And that when, you know, when you go underground as a fraternity, the, the hijinks only heighten, like they're doing crazier right. stuff now. Cause there's like nobody keeping eyes on them. So they would get into like, uh, you know, certain things like stealing from other fraternities. And one of the things that skull and bones, which we'll talk about a little later on, they're most famous for crooking, right? This is like one of the things that the skull and bones boys do when they're part of this fraternity at Yale, they crook. That's like the this term for it, the slang for it. And the idea is you go and you steal a trophy, something like important. They stop doing like like real crimes and now they steal like mm -hmm. license plates and like flags and like things right. that people aren't going to like, you know, get arrested for. So we stole, not me personally, but the fraternity stole a Jolly Roger flag from the Skull and Bones fraternity house, which is a separate building uh, from the tomb. The tomb is like where they have their meetings and whatnot, but they live in a, the, the Bonesmen live in their own sort of fraternal house uh, somewhere on Yale campus. So the fraternity that I just so happened to join because my buddies were a part of it has this like weird connection with Skull and Bones. And I had known enough about conspiracies at that point from my days in college when I had dropped out of community college uh, because I had met a guy named Amos, who I've talked a bunch about on different podcasts. Yeah. Yep. He he told me about the Geronimo saga and how his skull was robbed from Stolen. his grave, right. taken to Yale and, you know, snuck away in the tomb. So it was just really like weird, like. You know, the the fraternity brought me to this point again with Skull and Bones because Amos, who I met when I was a part of community college before I became a Chinese food delivery driver, he told me all about Skull and Bones. And and I was like shocked because, you know, I'd learned a little bit about this stuff online, but I'd never met anybody who had like, you know, shown me like, hey, yeah, this is actually where they do that kind of stuff. And uh you know, he told me a bunch of stories. You know, he was homeless for a few years when he first moved to New Haven. So you see stuff when you're homeless. You know, you see weird things going on. If you don't have a place to sleep at night, you're probably walking around uh, at night when most people are sleeping. So he saw some some weird stuff. And, uh, you know, he wasn't like a, <clears throat> he wasn't like pulling my leg, you know, like he would he would tell me real shit. Uh, but it felt like, you know, to other people, like if I told my friends what Amos told me, they'd be like, dude, you're full of shit. You know, <laughs> one of the things that he told me was that there's these like iron grates on the sidewalk and he saw a homeless guy fall through one of the iron gates and the sidewalk. And he said he never saw that homeless guy ever again. He'd been familiar with this guy. He was a drunk. He kind of, you know, was terrorizing people on the green. And one night he disappeared and Amos like saw it with his own eyes. This dude fell into the ground and uh, New Haven, like most cities, has an underground uh, portion to it. Right. They they when they build these cities, they actually like raise the ground level because New Haven and, and a lot of modern American cities that are on the coast were built below the flood line. So when they started doing like more modern building techniques, they're like, let's raise the street level. So when it floods, it's all underground. It's not 
above ground causing problems and you know yale and and the university has its own system of tunnels in that so you got to wonder like if they're kidnapping homeless people maybe they're using them as cadavers or whatever you know hospital this medical university and this history goes back because the skull and bones what are they most famous for grave robbing right and i often wondered if maybe that was a part of yale's early days is they couldn't find cadavers so they recruited some fraternity guys to you know because they're already practicing sort of secrecy and whatnot let's get these guys to do it you know they're not going to snitch on each other they're not going to snitch on us they're going to you know dig up the bodies bring them to the hospital and and that's how they sort of advance their medical knowledge in those early days of the colony i haven't found any evidence to corroborate that it's always been a a suspicion of mine uh but you know when you hear those kind of like personal accounts like from my friend amos it's like it it just it doesn't add up you know and i've heard even stranger stuff where on march 22nd 322 at 322 a.m the alumni of skull and bones most recent graduating class goes up to the top of one of the tallest buildings in New Haven that happens to have uh, three pyramidal shaped roof caps. And they stand underneath one of these pyramidal roof caps and they dissect a human heart from the hospital's, you know, organ collection. They dissect the human heart and then stick toothpicks in it and eat it. And that's part of their initiation after becoming skull and bonesmen. And what's so strange about this is recently I spoke to a guy named Peter Shampoo who researches ley lines. And, you know, for the past few months, we've been reading his book. I've talked to him a couple times now. But when I first got in touch with him and he told me about this ley line that connects the pyramid in Mexico, Teotihuacan, in yep. Mexico City, with New Haven, Boston, Washington, D.C., New York City, New all York, yep. major cities are on that ley line. So I'm like, there we go. Maybe that's the connection, right? They're eating these pieces of heart, just like we're told the Aztecs did on the pyramid, right? Uh, they would sacrifice the, you know, whoever pull their heart out and and let it beat in the noon sun as a sacrifice, right? I feel like syncretically, maybe they're pulling out that energy from ancient history along this energy current. It's a little far-fetched, but that's part of this sort of like synchromistic examination. You know, history, society, culture, they're not in a vacuum. You know, they're not static. They're living things and their influences carry on past their, you know, timely physical nature, right? So somebody can build a city that's on a ley line that people have traveled on for thousands of years. And that energy that's embedded into that ley line will then express itself through this new modern incarnation, which, I mean, I don't know personally where you're at, but 
if you've been to the East Coast, you know, most of them are pretty sketchy, you know, like there are, yeah. there are nice sides of town and then there are towns that you don't want to be, you know, side of the town that you don't want to be in after midnight. Right. Yeah, like, I, I live in uh in Central Florida, but I'm originally okay. from New York City. So oh, cool. So you born, born in New York City and I, I was born in 73. I left in 89. But this is something that I that I noticed and, and what I heard and, and on the East Coast, because the elevation is so high. And also it's high, like on the West Coast as well. There's a lot of underground tunnels that all connect, right? right. Plus, like you were saying in Connecticut, they ra- they were raising the streets to build, you know, and 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 there's probably, um, you know, there's probably, uh, what would you call it, structures underneath, right? Because I heard in, like in New York, when they don't demolish and then rebuild, they build on top of in New York. So right. I remember as a kid, when I first got into like the hip hop culture, I used to like sneak out of the house and I used to go hang out with like uh, um, uh, graffiti artists and they would take me to like some weird places. And one time they took me to uh, the subway station. Now you were talking about a grate, right? And this dude fell through a grate. Well, in New York, there's certain spots where there's these grates that people don't, they, you see the grate, you just don't know what it is. But these graffiti dudes found a way to open up the grate. And what it was is it was stairs that led down to the backside of the subway. So if you go to on the subway like the regular way and you're on the platform, mm. there's another side that's <laughs> hidden that you don't know. Wow. And so this grate, when you opened it, it led down. And then so, okay, so the deal with, and I don't want to take, because I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about you and what you're talking about. But um, in the hip hop culture and graffiti, the, the goal was to get up, meaning to have as many tags and pieces and to and to go what they call all city. So that's tagging everywhere, top to bottom, meaning going as high up as you can to, to, to create pieces and tag to as far down underground as you could to create tags. So as we're going down the stairs, you see nothing but tags on the side of you. So this one dude took us to this deep area i want to say we were at least three four stories down below the subway station and we ran into another subway station it had to have been at least 50 60 years old and this is in the 80s and so we went into this room we found like these lockers and everything and we started opening them up and you can see paper uh, newspapers from like the the 30s the 40s like old like baseball cars that were you know like uh that were you know destroyed because you know uh weathering and everything and then, you know, we had some weird, you know, supernatural, uh, paranormal thing that happened down there. But I'm just adding to what you're saying. Like, yeah, there are tunnels down, under, especially on the East Coast, where they all connect. And who knows who's accessing that and what they're doing down there. No doubt. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that. I I know a little bit about graffiti culture. There's a couple like rundown warehouses in my neighborhood that right. like famous graffiti artists will hit because it's on the metro north train station like railroad so like you know if you're riding on the train you see some of the best tags right. around because those guys know like okay all eyes on this side of the road of the the tracks like let's let's blow it up here right so yeah i appreciate you you sharing that i i don't i don't know uh specifically what part of new york city but i'm pretty sure that the, the guys who founded skull and bones have like their um headquarters or their like official building for their office the trust manhattan 
It's in Manhattan, yeah. For sure, somewhere. it has to be Manhattan. It wouldn't be yeah. like any other borough. Like the Bronx is too run down. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I lived in the in Queen. I lived in the Bronx and I lived in Queens. I know it's not there. Brooklyn, Brooklyn's too bougie. You know, <laughs> like to yeah. you know, no, no disrespect. I mean, I love Brooklyn too, but it's it, it's in, it's for sure probably in Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, it's on like Wall Street or in one of those yeah. neighborhoods. But yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Like they have their they have their roots everywhere. Like they started at Yale. But they were inspired by people in Germany. And, you know, really, that's all getting a little ahead of myself. Right. Uh, I explain the other stuff mostly to show like this has been an interest of mine, but not like through my own doing, really. Like right. I've just been like pushed by life towards these situations. And because of my awareness, I've been able to maybe notice things that other people who aren't into conspiracies or spirituality and whatnot, maybe they wouldn't pick up on that stuff. So um, eventually I stopped being a part of that fraternity and uh, it was a good time, but you get too old for that kind of thing eventually. And I found yeah. a job through my friend, another friend at the fraternity uh, at a bakery. And this bakery was right in New Haven and they had me as a delivery driver and a farmer's market worker. So I would go on all these deliveries at like three or four in the morning, dropping off bread throughout Yale's campus. And uh, at one point in my job as a delivery guy, I got access to like this whole underground side of Yale, this uh, underneath the um, School of Business there's a section that goes underground and then connects to like several other Yale buildings. And I just happened to like accidentally walk down the wrong hallway. I pull out my phone and I look at my GPS, which was, it just was open. Like, cause I was using it in my car. I'm like, Holy crap. I'm underneath the ground, like the street right now. Like, you know, you can see like <laughs> with the map, I'm like, what the heck? Like I'm underneath yeah. the, the like cars are above me right now. So that was sort of, synchronistic and there were a couple of different instances like that but the most synchronistic was i had been delivering every tuesday pastries to this uh, economics office at yale and it uh it happened to be the former home of the bushes when the bushes lived in new haven and i just so happened to be dropping off pastries on the day george hw bush died no I had freaking no, way, man. I had no clue that that was his house. But I walk into this place, you know, dropping off pastries like I did every Tuesday and look down at the newspaper and it says George H.W. Bush, former New Haven resident, 88 Hill House Avenue, died today. And I'm like, whoa, 88 Hill House. That's where I'm right. Now. I'm like right there. What? That's not a <laughs> coincidence, bro. <laughs> yeah. So like for, for a, at least two years, I'm I'm like in George H.W. Bush's former home every day, like every Tuesday, you know, so it, that kind of thing, just like this was all before I started my podcast. And this right. was all when I was like obsessively listening to podcasts, like sometime around the bakery job, I had found podcasting. You know, it was a huge revelation for me. I'm like, Whoa, this stuff exists. People are talking about it. And, um, and yeah, it just, for a while, it was like a thorn in my side. Like, you know, Oh, you got to start your podcast. You got to start your podcast. And then I met Sam Tripoli at a show I gave him a book, um, The Kabbalion, The Seven Hermetic Laws. Which and, I want to talk to you about if you don't mind. Yeah, but, that, I don't but mind. keep going. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, 
I just went to Sam's show as a fan. I had no intention of, you know, hanging out with him or working for him or even podcasting with him. I just wanted to give him this book, you know, like in my mind, he's like a mega star, my favorite podcast. He needs this book, right? Because he was sort of talking a lot about the simulation theory at that time. And I was like, bro, if he had the Kabbalion, he would see that it's not just a simulation theory. Like people have been talking about this stuff for thousands of years. You know, this whole idea of like uh, fractals and uh, as above, so below, like these were concepts that people were talking about. And I just was like, you know, if Sam had this book, he might be able to like ground himself in that information rather than kind of like just playing with the idea and it not really finding a home. So that was really my intention is like, give this guy this book. He's going to need it. And um, after the the comedy show, he's like, yeah, don't, he's like, don't give it to me now. You know, he's like, come, come to this club or going to this club. So I'm like, what? All right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he doesn't want my book. All right. It's like a really small book. I'm like, bro, right. this in your pocket. Right. But it ended up being a good thing. Cause we go uh, to like, Long Island City, which, you know, is like we were in Manhattan at the Gramercy Theater and I got right. to go all the way to Long Island City and I didn't have a car. So I linked up with these guys who I was waiting in line with. I'm like, yeah, you guys want to go to that club Sam said he's going to? And they're like, hell yeah. So we all get in their car. We drive over there. I give Sam the book. I meet Eddie Bravo, who. Is oh, like, man. Wow. He's like he's like a tank. Like Eddie is yeah. scary, bro. Like he he was I don't know what he looks like now, but back then it was clear he had just like he was building muscle. And I remember I like tapped him on the shoulder. I'm like, yo, Eddie, I'm like, thank you, bro. And like, because of you, I started smoking weed. And he was like, no, nah, don't put that on me, bro. Don't put that on me. <laughs> but it's true. I saw Eddie Bravo smoking a bong and doing the huh. twister. And I'm like, Shit, this guy can roll jujitsu uh, high as fuck. I can wrestle right. fake, you know, and. Weed really helped me uh, integrate a lot of this information in a positive way. So to me, saying that to Eddie was like a really sentimental thing. I get why he doesn't want that kind of reputation. (laughs) He's he's putting people onto drugs, you know? (laughs) Yeah, but it was a funny sort of like situation. So we're at this comedy club. I give Sam the book and and then I, I go home. And a couple of months later, I'm on Sam's patreon and he's doing a live stream and i'm like hey sam did you read that book yet and he's like are you the guy that you know and i'm like yeah that's me so next thing i know he has me on his show there's just the patreon show and i talk about skull and bones and i tell him you know the gist of what i had experienced as a just a delivery guy and someone who lived in new haven and uh and yeah he was he was kind of curious and we ended up doing like a couple more shows uh, on his Patreon, and then he started Zero. I was the third guest. Awesome. And, and then after that, he was like, who should I have on next? And I'm like, bro, you should have these people on. I gave him a whole list of like 40 people. And he's like, all right, <laughs> you clearly are the right guy for this job. And I didn't know he was looking for someone to book guests for him. And that's how it started. So I started working with Tripoli and and at that point, I had the podcast, but I wasn't as dedicated as I am now. So I really I give a lot of credit to Sam because he like lit a fire under my ass to like actually work on my show and like make it into what it is now. Was uh, it something else? Was it called something else? 
Initially, yeah, I, I initially did a show with my buddies at one of my friend's apartments, and we just would like sit in a cipher and just like smoke weed. And I would tell them about conspiracies. And it was called the Bud Triangle. And, uh, you know, is, just kind is, of, is it still out there? Yeah, it's on YouTube. I mean, it's it's probably gotten like a hundred views altogether on all eight episodes. Dude, I want I want to check out, man. <laughs> so that was like that was like the early the early days. I should probably put those on like uh, on the RSS feed or something at one point. Like, I mean, old... didn't didn't Joe Rogan essentially start out the same way? Joe Rogan started out pretty much the same way, you know, with his friends yeah. just talking shit, you know. Well, and and that was the thing is like with at that point. I didn't even meet Sam yet. So it was like, I didn't really have the motivation. It was more just like, I like talking shit with my friends. They kind of like conspiracies because Trump had gotten in office and like the whole country was sort of getting warmed up to this type of thinking two years before that, they wouldn't be like, dude, you're crazy. Who cares right. about politics? You know, right. politics is lame. Shut up. You know, <laughs> like even if you brought up like nine 11, they'd be like, shut up about politics. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you talking about? This is like the major, this is the biggest false flag that's ever happened. Right. So anyways, that was me. I was always that guy with my friends. And then when I met Sam, I'm like, okay, this is like legitimate. I should, I'd be an idiot if I didn't like right. actually make a real podcast right hey, now. Hey, Mark, you, you, you can take a puff if you want, bro. Go ahead, brother. Go ahead, man. I ain't going to hate you, I man. know, right? I, well, I, I like to light it and let it, yeah. let it burn a let little Let it sit, let it marinate. Yeah, you know, the, the, they have like a weird, uh, uh, the backwoods are weird at the, like the, where you twist it at the end, right? It's all like leaf. So I'm not going to inhale just straight tobacco leaf. I like to let it like simmer a little bit, but I appreciate you. I, I get so caught up in talking. I never, no, stop. man, it's cool, man. It's so go ahead. go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, I just want this to be as organic as possible. So it's not, you know, <laughs> no. I just got a mouthful of organic Scooby snacks. So how's that? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so my buddy, my buddy, Jay, Chris, and actually Mikey, the, the kid that first told me about conspiracy theories in like middle school, they were some of the first people I podcasted with. And then when I started, my family thinks I'm crazy. Uh, I asked them to be a part of it as well. And that worked out for a little while. But eventually I was like, you know, this is a pretty demanding thing. I'm not going to just be like a dictator to my friends and like force them to be on zoom meetings with me talking to right. people never heard of before about subjects they barely know about. It was fun while it lasted, but it was like, you know, it, eventually it, it ran its course. And ever since like episode 50, I've done the podcast solo. My girlfriend's co-hosted with me for a bunch of different episodes. And, uh, yeah, I give Sam a lot of credit because when I told my family that I was going to start working for him, they were like, they were like shocked. They're like, don't don't you have a good job already? Like you're you're a delivery driver. That isn't, you know, Amazon was all popular at the time. Like, you know, they just started doing deliveries. So they were they were happy for me. They're like, you're an Amazon delivery driver. Meanwhile, you know, eight hours a day, I'm delivering packages like listening to podcasts obsessively it's like all i cared about was the fact that i could listen to podcasts and i got paid to do it you know i, I was never going to be an amazon delivery driver forever and if i was well, i'd probably listen to a whole bunch of podcasts but <laughs> that was that was when my family was like are you crazy and that's when it hit me like oh my family thinks i'm crazy that's a great name for a show it all kind of culminated and and yeah here i am now and what's so cool about doing this 
now is I've been able to go back and re-examine some of those things that I initially learned about. And, you know, I, I thought I knew things about skull and bones, but it really wasn't in, in the last, until the last six months that I started doing like a lot of research and figuring out this whole story. Um, so that was like, you know, kind of a weird, uh, transition, right? Like the whole world had changed because of the COVID pandemic. I don't know if you're going to put this on YouTube or not. Dude, um, I'm putting it on YouTube and I don't care, dude. All right, cool. Well, <laughs> I, I had, I had I'd say pandemic, so <laughs> yeah, I'd say scandemic, pandemic, bullshit, cool. whatever you want to call it. I had, I had a uh, crow triple seven. Um, oh, cool. and, uh, I had to, for YouTube, I had to do a, a like a little clip thing where i just put clips of it and then put the full episode on bit because he had asked me to please not put it up because he knew that it, it like probably might my, my uh channel would get shut down because yeah, we talked yeah. about some crazy shit so. <laughs> well that's nice of him to say that yeah no, I, he, and he was listen dude i mean I, I i've been fortunate enough to get guests like you and him you know i've had uh dave sadoti i've had uh daryl sims i did a uh, preston dennett I don't know if you know who Preston Dennett is. I did him two days ago. Um, I've been fortunate, you know, and the, and they helped me. And you help, you know, you you're gonna help me and and all that stuff. And I appreciate it. You know, you guys don't have to, and you guys do it out out of the goodness of your heart. Well, that, you really know, that's the, you're absolutely right. You know, that, but you're also kind of wrong because like you're helping me too, brother. Like it's not just me helping you. Like doing this show is like a mutually beneficial thing. It helps me reach people that maybe would have never found my show, but they found yours. Right. And vice versa. Like if I, I'm going to put this most likely as a swap cast on my show, you know, and, and my audience will learn about you and they'll be like, All right, check out universal dialect and see what's going on here. So back to kind of the, like the, you, you probably had, I mean, a, a wake up, right. Nine 11 and then, the pandemic, right? Like that the, the, time in between those two right. events was like, well, the, let me tell you, like uh, before I joined the military, this is going to sound weird. And I, I talk about this all the time. I had a sense that things were going wrong, probably in the mid nineties. Uh, and again, I came from, from New York city to Florida. So I'm a city kid. I'm coming to like this, you know, uh, swamp land, um, a lot of racism here and all that. But I knew at least where I stood, when I first moved out here and I knew how people acted and I knew essentially how the world acted. But for some reason, mid nineties, things started to change and I felt people were getting a, just a little bit more aggressive. And then I joined the military and then you had the whole nine 11 thing happen. And then like you, I saw, you know, loose change after that. And to me, it's like, the world's just not the same. It's not headed in a really good direction. And people are just, very reactionary and the spontaneity level is just through the roof there's no thinking before doing anymore people just do and then either they regret what they do or they just don't or they act like they they didn't do anything wrong mm. and and i don't i'm not i don't like that and that scares me because i have kids you know what i mean and I, i'm wondering about their future like what what's it going to be like you know what i mean oh absolutely yeah i think it's some it's it's you know, it's some kind of ritual. It's some kind of like event scheme where they, they plan these events to have a certain effect on our psychology. So it very well could be what you're describing as a result of that. And I felt like 
what we all went through in 2020 and the years in between then and now was basically like a you know show me what you're worth kind of thing right like for some people it was like i'm just gonna conform i'm just gonna go with what the authority is saying because i'm scared and for those of us who were like awake to this stuff we, we had to face our fears on a different level you know and like make a decision like am i going to be potentially outcasted am i potentially gonna like be a martyr for my beliefs like that was those were all possibilities in 2020 you know like right when that the first it's like three four months in people were like this is still going on so that was when i started the podcast around like october 2020 uh, when people were like why is this still going on and i remember just being like crazy angry like i'd have to go to like the grocery store is the only place I had to go to every other place. I cut it out of my lifestyle. You know, it was just home grocery store friends that weren't psyoped and that's it. And the grocery store was maddening. Cause like, I like good food. I like whole foods for whatever, you know, whatever you want to say about that. And that's where all of the, like the most psyoped people just culminated right. there. Right. And, and places like that, you know, if you live on the West coast, maybe it's like sprouts or whatever, you know, but here whole foods is all we got, at least in my town for, for quality organics. And uh, yeah, it was just, that was, that was rough. And, and I remember each week just being more and more angry and, my podcast sort of died like it, we took like a sort of turn away from that because I started to realize like I don't want to become a part of that. I want to become, you know, something where people get relief from listening to my show where people like listen to to avoid to get, to get away from that. Right. Yeah, because that's how I listen to podcasts. It was like. You know, if I listen to something mainstream where they're like mentioning things in the news, it's like, I don't like shut up, you know, like I don't need to hear that from you. I can go watch the news if I want to watch the news. And unfortunately, a lot of comedy podcasts that I liked did that around that time, you know, because of what was going on. They all bent the knee and they're like, you know, oh, it's scary out there. Watch out. We can't do our gigs. And, you know, Sam was like, one Sam of the talks few... about that. Yeah. He, yeah he, Sam he, was he, one of the few comedians who was like, screw this. We're going out. We're going to meet the people. We'll do shows in Texas. We'll do shows in Florida because that's where people are at and they don't care. And, you know, for me being stuck up here in Connecticut, it was like, all right, well, I want to be a part of that, too. Like, let's let's branch out, start podcasting with people all over the place. And uh, yeah, it's been really cool since, you know, it's given me the freedom to to research things. And then it's also, you know, when you break away from the system and you know, this is when the synchro mysticism really starts. And, you know, for me, I, I as a podcast listener, I would like get all these synchros, you know, and everybody has their own personal synchros and some of them are so personal. It's not even like worth sharing. It's like meant for you, only you. Can you define that for those that might not know what synchro mysticism is? Yeah. So uh, synchro mysticism would be a sort of mindset. And maybe it's easier if I start by explaining uh, the, the definition of synchro, at least how it's used by people in this sort of thought space. So a synchro is any time where something lines up right where maybe there's a coincidence what normal people would call a coincidence that has a particular message for you right so let's say an example of a synchronicity uh, let's say i'm listening to music and it's on shuffle and i i get a song that's like titled you know uh 
the eagle it is a song by the eagles right and then i see a bald eagle fly across the road right like that would be a synchronicity right kind of a a bland one not not so specific no, I, I know i know what you're saying yeah, you know, the eagles it. are a popular band right but uh but that's the kind of thing that would happen like over and over and specifically with podcasts because like a podcast is like a two-hour to three-hour conversation usually uh and there's so many different points of information that get collected into that unique piece of time you spend enough time in that sort of thought space you're like noticing where things you hear about are lining up with things in your actual life which can be weird because there's a sense of randomness like nobody told me to listen to these shows i just randomly chose to listen to them you know and so why is it that Two hours later, I saw that thing that connected exactly with what I listened to earlier today. That's that's how I got your show. Um, mm -hmm. My I was never on Spotify and my wife signed up for an account. And so she said, you can set up your own separate account. And so automatically right away, I went and I, you know, Simfoil hat, you know, I went and I got all my shows. But then you became a recommendation. And then that's how right that's on. how I found you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I think, uh, well, I say thank you because it's always cool to learn how people found my show. And I don't hear that kind of stuff enough. So thank you. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the synchros are, are interesting because it really is like, it's a slippery thing to define. You know, it's, it's an emotion. You know, you can't really define an emotion to one subjective or objective thing. But a synchronicity, you know, you know it when you feel it, when you see it, when it happens to you. Um, and the fact that we're talking right now definitely a synchronicity that you found my show right um, so can i ask you a question real quick i don't mean to cut you off i hate having to do this but that's right because i have it written down synchromysticism is it connected yeah. to the law of attraction well so then yeah so this is a good segue. okay i was getting okay. to that so okay i'm sorry that, no it's all right now <laughs> yeah. that we kind of understand what a synchro is for everybody out there might not have heard that before synchromysticism is a type of mindset that typically people who do this kind of research, you know, they take this approach to their research. I'll give you some examples. Chris Knowles, Michael Wan. Uh, there are others that came before them. I think Jake Coetzee is one of the first like guys to use the term synchromysticism. But the concept has been fairly sort of spread out in this podcast world now. A lot of people... Uh, could be considered synchromystic researchers and what you really how you define that is is when somebody connects an aspect of their life to what they're researching which can be very difficult to define but what you have to understand about synchromysticism is it's a process it's something that happens you start looking for this information and it just appears synchron synchronistically and you start connecting dots. And when you connect enough dots, you have to like sit there and say to yourself, like, was I not meant to find this? Like, this is all so just serendipitous. It's, it's uncanny how it all lined up. And it happens over and over for different people. So that's really where it became a sort of, in my mind, uh, an ideology, so to speak, or a methodology. It'd probably be a better way to describe it. Uh, synchromysticism, it's an approach to learning, you know, it's an approach to learning that, um, 
isn't so scientifically rigorous, right? Because I think people often think of a researcher as somebody who's like a historian, who's like forensic, and they're like digging through all these points of information. Whereas a synchromystic is someone who lets information flow towards them and trusts their intuition enough to respond to the correct correlations as they appear. Because there's just as much noise as there is uh, connections, right? Noise would be things that are maybe information points that come at you that maybe don't connect to the overall arc of what your your intention is. And that's probably the most important thing about synchromysticism is the intention, right? Because if your intention is to find the truth, the truth will find you, you know, like there's only three things in the world that will never remain hidden the moon the sun and the truth right like and maybe the stars you know you probably black out the stars if you're in like a, a light polluted city so but the sun the moon and the truth right that's the old phrase and i think the truth is more than a concept it's like a it's like an intelligence because god is truth you know and the all-knowing almighty creator you know and maybe that doesn't jive with everybody. I respect everyone's spiritual beliefs. But personally, I think that consciousness comes first. Consciousness defines our reality to some degree. And within our consciousness lies every single piece of information possible. It's just that we've been entrained by our culture and our society not to access all these parts of our brain. And when you start seeking truth, you'll organically and naturally find a route towards that origin. It may not be the same route for everybody, but I think synchromysticism, it's sort of like a modern day way of, of finding gnosis, right? Of experiencing truth. Uh, like gnosis is more than truth. It's like the, the feeling of truth, the ecstasy of knowing. Right. There's sort of a, a good feeling when you know something and you're proven correct. And it's not tip, it's not an ego thing. It doesn't have to be an ego thing. There are people who, you know, they just want to be know-it-alls for the sake of knowing it all. And right. they end up being they end up being more biased than anybody else because they're just really hoping to prove themselves right at the end of the day. Uh, but synchromysticism is is really, you know, you have to be willing to to be wrong. Uh, when you go into this kind of research and and understand that sometimes those like inaccuracies are going to lead you to a more accurate understanding. It's about the journey, you know, not just the destination. So this is a little, you know, mumbo jumbo, but the word mysticism is in there. So what can you expect? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I got you now. And when you were talking about like just just right now about how uh everybody wants to be a know-it-all it's really hard to have conversations with people because you know as far as i know how a conversation is really supposed to go is you have you know one or more individuals talking about a topic and not everybody in that group is going to have the same level of knowledge some people are going to have less some people are going to have more now the people that have less knowledge their job is to no disrespect shut the fuck up and listen and learn so you can build yourself up to that level but right. everybody's so like, oh, I know, I know, I know. Conversations, I, I find conversations with people go nowhere a lot of the times. Because mm -hmm. I know I can tell someone something that they don't know, but they'll say, yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's like, yeah, whatever, dude. You know, 
and it, it's funny it's like there it's like a it's like a reflex of learning like the, the the less you know the more you want to talk about it like i remember like when i was just getting into all this stuff it was so exciting the first thing i wanted to do was just tell everybody about it and then like the first doubt or a little bit of skepticism would like totally like I would collapse to it because it's like, oh, yeah, you got me. Like, I don't know. Right. But now I've realized in my age that, like, it's way better to let those who are seeking knowledge come to you. Don't go out and tell everybody. Right. So for those, like, who may be, like, learning out there, like, that's a good sign uh, of a good teacher. <laughs> Somebody is humble and, and, and maybe even has a bit of reservation as to whether or not uh, they're willing to teach you. I think you know you sort of have to earn those kind of things through uh, exactly what you just described, like being respectful, listening, and observing. And uh, yeah, it was it was like the first you know ten years of me smoking weed, where that was like all I wanted to do was like talk to people about this kind of stuff. And then about two years ago, when I started this podcast, uh, I had a outlet for the first time uh for this kind of stuff and it, it shifted my uh interactions socially you know because now instead of being like oh i gotta validate this like it's more like yeah yeah if they like it if they're interested in in seeing whether i'm full of shit or not they could just listen to my podcast because i've talked to somebody smarter than me who could say it better than i can right so that's one of the that's one of the things about like knowledge is it's it's demonstrative you know you you demonstrate it by being it you know uh, i think people who are just about ego sort of kind of get lost in like the facts and figures and trying to be impressive and uh you have that on podcasting sometimes but for the most part like everybody i've interacted with has been super humble and and uh kind and and all on this same objective of let's get down to the truth. And if I'm wrong and you have evidence to show, like, that's cool. Cause I'm open-minded and, and I'll be better for it afterwards. Cause now I know more. And I think people need to have that attitude just in general, like where we should all be supporting each other's learning. It's not a, it's not a competition. You know, I think that's like one of the things society has geared into us is like this, uh, Oh, you know, like survival of the smartest survival of the fittest kind of attitude. And, and it's like, no, no, no. Learning is a is a collaborative effort, you know, like just like you said, we all come to this uh, equation with different unique skill sets and uh, we're all born with the ability to do something unique. Right. So why <laughs> why try to homogenize it when we can just sort of have a, a, a diverse expression of intelligence? That's really what I'd like to see is like more people just open to the idea that secret societies run the world or that lizard people might exist or, you know, just be open to it. You don't have to believe it, but like when somebody says it to you, don't dismiss them as a crazy person, ask them why they think that, you know, right. because then you'll, then you'll find common ground. You'll, you'll find like, okay, they might, I not, may not agree with their conclusion that lizard people run the world, but I understand why you might think that because I struggle, I have struggles in my life too. And I think that's where we're at. We're being oppressed psychologically, spiritually, and physically we're being oppressed on all fronts and they can't keep that up. You know, it, it's, it's 
about time that something gives. And I think that's what we're seeing now. I, I'm not like a new age guru who's going to tell you that we're all in some great awakening and come follow me and smell my dung, you know, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not into that, but I definitely think that that's like, that's really why podcasts are becoming so popular is because this is the most authentic form of entertainment. You know, we might not be right, but just the fact that we're speaking from our hearts and we're honestly sh like sharing things that come from whatever's going on in our lives. Like people like that, you know, you can't, you can't fake that, you know, as much money as you put into Oprah Winfrey, like she, she stopped being authentic a long time ago. You know what I mean? Like, sure. She's a billionaire and I could give you, you know, I don't mean to pick on Oprah. There are other examples, but uh, you know, this whole mainstream media talking head, like those people are, are so fake it's 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 all collapsing now with the internet you know so i'm really grateful to be you know in a position where people are like oh yeah come on my show and, and talk about this stuff because you know five years ago people are like shut up no one cares <laughs> you know go go back and read your books you nerd you know but yeah skull and bones i think has contributed to get back to like the the top yeah i think they've contributed to that situation in a way because you know, if you go and look at what they did to the education system, they went and uh, standardized a type of learning that basically dumbed people down. You know, prior to this uh, education reform, children were able to read full sentences, paragraphs by the age of seven. Now Ooh. they're like, you know, now they're like still learning like sentences at that age, right. like putting before, sentences before, before I'm, you know, cause I'm working a, a regular nine to five now, like I work in an office type space, but I've only been there eight months, but for four years I worked in the elementary school. So I saw firsthand how they're destroying, how the, how the education system is destroyed yeah. And what we're what we're putting out there for the future, I'm I'm a, I, I've seen it firsthand, and this is yeah. pre-COVID and during COVID. So what well, you're saying is is not bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and people see it now, especially with the politicization of their schools, and you know, that's more more blatant than what they've done for like hundreds of years. But you know, the the oldest form of this dumbing down, I think, happened in, at least in America the oldest form was like around the late 1800s. They started taking the style of learning that was invented for deaf, dumb and blind children and standardizing that. So everybody started with that level of education, which if you haven't like if you like you haven't seen deaf, dumb and blind like educational tools back then, it looks exactly like children books look today. Where like you have like a letter with a, a picture and like one word and it's all very simple and boiled down and it's 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 meant to retard not to use that word offensively it's meant to slow down the mind. Well, I mean, retard is an actual word. I mean, right, I, you know, right. But I know people. I know why you're saying it because people yeah. will say, but it's a word. I mean, we we should be allowed to use it. You know, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> In the right, right. context. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing is it does get into tricky territory because you have families out there who raise children who have developmental dis disorders. And I've gotten a lot of flack from this in my personal life for being honest with family members about what I've learned and told them like, hey, your child is only getting 
you know, worse because of the situation that you think is helping them. You know, we're talking about modern medicine. We're talking about the electrical currents that we're all surrounded by. You know, these are all contributing to very serious birth defects and, you know, just general health defects throughout the life of anybody, not just people who are born with a certain thing. So I would argue that maybe 500 years ago, we had less of this stuff. I think there's like this misconception that, oh, you know, 500 years ago was the dark ages and they were all like shoveling poop out of their front window and like nobody had like showers. Like it's just, you know, some of that is true. But I think for the most part, like people were a lot smarter. Children were a lot smarter. Like my grandfather dropped out of school in the fourth grade and immediately got a job, worked the rest of his life you know, had a great life for himself. He didn't need to go and spend 12 years at school to do that. And, uh, and he worked on a farm as a kid, you know, and all that kind of stuff you do when you're in a rural area. And, and I've spoken to some pretty brilliant people who have come from that same type of background. One example is George Wiseman, uh, uh, inventor of Brown's gas and Brown's gas. Yep. Yeah. He He was was on Sam's show. Yeah. Yeah, he's like that, you know, a guy who grew up on a farm teaching himself how to do stuff. And, you know, one thing leads to another. And that's the potential that we all have as human beings when we're given the right resources. You know, like we were saying before, uh, everybody's sort of designed or unique in their own way uh, with certain abilities, maybe like built into their, you know, destiny. I don't believe in predestiny, but I think like as a like as a person who's like really tall and skinny, like my dad cast a certain lot for me when he had me because I'm going to kind of look like him. So now I got to deal with every time I go out in public, people are like, oh, do you play basketball? You know, like that could have been that could have been a good route for me. Right. If I went and stayed on the basketball court. How tall are you? I'm six, eight. So I could have hustled and been a basketball player, but I was never coordinated enough dude you don't even have to be coordinated you could just be on the bench and make a couple of million dollars i know right well it's too late it's all right man that's that's the thing though is like as a very tall person i have that experience of like clearly society sees me as a certain archetype like when i go out in public they're like oh this guy must be an athlete i'm not you know i do i do have some athletic ability now but you know when i was a martial artist yeah, when I was but when I was growing up, that wasn't like in my mind, like, right. oh, I'm gonna go and play sports. And it just never appealed to me. So I think like given the right atmosphere. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, hope we didn't get cut off. You there, Mark? Hello, hello. Am I still there? Hold on. Oh uh, yeah, you cut off uh yeah, you I'm cut back. off. You're back on. You're back on. Um, the last part, <laughs> the last part was uh, I think uh, just ask me about- a question. I felt like I was going off on. No, something. no, dude. Trust me. Uh, this show is about you. I, I, you know, the the more you talk, the better because that I'm I'm here to learn from well, you. Yeah, you know, I'm not like Jordan Peterson, so I don't want to. Oh, dude, go and, like, not, not like Jordan Peterson. Side, <laughs> you're, you, you know? you're better than Jordan Peterson. <laughs> well, that's. I feel like I'm talking about like family things. No, that's like, cool, man, because it, it, it. I can relate to that. Like, okay, so like you were talking about like the medicine and how it's affecting things, right? So let's look at the last like 15 years. 
last 15 years what do we have autism all of a sudden we i don't remember seeing autism when i'm growing up when i was growing up i have three kids right my oldest and my youngest are on the spectrum okay i i feel like if i if i was you know in the 50s 40s and i had kids i don't think any of my kids would have had autism you know what i mean but well and i think part of that is the definitions have changed like i was born like right before they started diagnosing kids like that like i think my generation they had sort of rolled it out a little bit i remember some of my classmates having scripts and i would was very confused by that like why do you you're so young you don't need that your brain's like not finished yet what are you talking about you need some kind of medicine so i think they've just like tried to you know it's more insidious than like oh yeah people are just like you know born a certain way now i think they might have defined those psychological aspects as maybe deficient when they're not like i feel like for example like attention deficit disorder this is something that's a result of kids being entrained you know like they don't want to put their attention on this boring stuff if you gave them things they were interested in to learn about that attention would be a benefit because they have more, you know, they have more energy than the average kid. They're trying to like slow them down, make them docile so they could absorb this uh, mandated information. You know, it, I think that it's very tricky, you know, and I don't have kids. So I respect, you know, you being honest with me about that and, and telling me about your kids and, you know, as someone who doesn't have kids, it's a little like, you know, I don't want to come off as like preachy because what do I know? No, 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 raising, no, no, man. Raising a kid. But, yeah. you know, I have a lot of cousins and they all have kids. So I, I've been around, you know. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've seen it happen. So, you know, that that's my personal thoughts on that. And I'm I'm somebody who was like that in school. Like the teachers didn't like me. I was not a good student, but I was smart. Neither, like, neither was I. <laughs> I was smart, like in the things I was interested in, which did not align with school. Right. So the teachers thought I was a problem, but you know, I thought I was pretty smart, <laughs> which probably you just, you just didn't belong. That's right. all it was. It wasn't right. the right environment, you know? Well, and you look at like the, the types of educations that the elite have for their children and they're, given all these options oh you, you want to learn about music spend three years learning about music oh you want to learn how to paint spend the rest of your time painting like that's the type of education they give to the the wealthy and they don't have those kind of problems for the most part outside of maybe the inbreeding that the royals do right uh, you know and and that's a whole whole thing <laughs> because on the east coast they have some of that going on too you know with certain uh royal so-called east coast royalty families and uh at the time that Yale was founded, the people who were in the scene, uh, they were all really amped up on this idea of creating a college for God, you know, and uh, that kind of morphed over time from like God being the most important thing to science being the most important thing. And what never changed was the elitism, right? It used to be god for the elite now it's science for the elite you know it's it's the 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 motivation has always remained um and they they started as sort of like a, the one of the wealthier uh colonies one of the wealthier colleges harvard sort of put all they had to help get this school started and it makes you wonder you know now seeing 
for the most part, like these kids are just like complete inept, you know, like they're like petting zoo animals compared to wild animals. Like they're just like sitting there like feed me, you know, whereas like a wild animal can go out and like provide for itself, you know, like they they've sort of like they've created this situation where humans are like domesticated, you know, and and only the 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 select few amongst that can rise to the top and be the shepherd of the rest of them. I think Yale is one of those places where they recruit shepherds. They have a lot of sheep. They go to that right. school. You know, it's a lot of sheep. But can I ask you a question real quick? Yeah. Go ahead. Are all the Ivy schools connected with Yale? Like Brown? Like they well, all do they all do the same things? Yeah, it's interesting. So the Ivy League schools, I don't think William and Mary is considered an Ivy League school, but the first college in the United States was William and Mary. And that was more of like a British thing, right? The British were more part of that. So I don't think they're considered Ivy League, but they're technically the oldest school. Harvard's second and Yale is third. And from Harvard and Yale, you have all the other Ivy Leagues because the people who graduated from Harvard founded Yale. And then the people who graduated from Harvard and Yale then go on to found all these other Ivy League schools. So they're absolutely connected. If you look into like the founders of each one of the Ivy League schools, there's like a 99% chance that they were an alumni from another Ivy League school. And then with Harvard, you know, they're connected to like Oxford and Cambridge out in England. William and Mary is also connected to that as well. Oxford and Cambridge are, you know, a whole yeah. can of worms, you know, different like animal Tavistock Institute, you know, surveillance and spies like that. It all starts there, you know, mind control and all of that goes. Did they do remote viewing as well out of there? Yeah. And, and, you know, the Ivy league schools have, which, you know, sort of set up shop in the East coast have then gone out and inspired all of these other schools to start. Right. Because the founders of like, Let's say, for example, University of California or like Loyola University or all these other schools that are big throughout the country. They are all founded by people who started at an Ivy League school or came from money, maybe connected to one of those guys somehow, some way. So this whole education system is definitely, you know, it's connected. There are outliers and most of them tend to be like religious extremists, you know, like the Mormons have their own kind of set up for schooling and whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, it is, it is interesting to see how the privileged have created a situation where uh, they can sustain that privilege. And they also kind of give this idea, this false idea that, you know, America is a place where, you know, you can start as a nobody and make all the, you know, become a millionaire, like the whole Rockefeller story, like, or Rothschild even, right? Like these guys are, they come from humble roots and they created their empire. I would argue that that's never been the case here in America. You know, the only people that, that really got a shot like that, they're few and far between. And by the time they get to the the age to like actually give back to the community, they co-op, they get co-opted by the powers that be by becoming a part of one of these secret societies and tying up their funds into, into this uh, collective that really doesn't serve anyone but themselves. You know, the elite is, it's a self uh, oriented group. They're, they're, 
you know, organizing the reins of power behind the scenes and allowing maybe sort of puppets to fill those roles, but they, at the end of the day, pull the strings, you know, and, right. and this is the synarchy. This is the, the rule by secret societies. And, you know, yes, it's a sort of aristocrat thing where it's an aristocracy, you know, elites ruling the, the government, but it, it's more than that because the secret society, you know, initiates people from all walks of life. You know, not not just elite, but I don't think that you can give some of these guys credit for like being like self-starters when you go through a secret society. You know, like I being a part of some cruddy fraternity, you know, like I could see how that helped me in life. I got two jobs just from being friends with people in there. Right. You know, that was a big, big benefit for me. If I didn't do that, who knows? Maybe I'd still be delivering Chinese food like a schlub. No offense to any. Chinese food delivery guys <laughs> is a good start, but uh, that's kind of the, the, the wheels, the real wheels of how our society and our economy turn. We give, we get this like sort of misimpression that it's a, you know, fair system and anybody could rise to the top with the right amount of hard work. And I would argue that no, because as soon as you get to that position, if you are authentic and you did work for yourself, somebody comes along and checks you. Somebody comes along and stops you or questions you or makes you bend to their will. Right. And that's that's what the synarchy is good at, you know, because they operate in secret. They can they can threaten people and make them disappear, so to speak. And they have, you know, actual cities across the United States that are completely corrupted by certain groups. And I think that's the deceptive thing about these secret societies is we get the impression that they're like individual groups of people when really you have like this like overlap you know where you have a group at the top that has its agents in every single group so it seems right. like oh there's their hand is in the cookie jar like in yeah. multiple cookie jars absolutely it's like you know it's the same thing with the mafia you know the mafia has its connections in all sorts of different criminal groups that aren't considered the mafia and, you know, they work with all those people and maybe even they run some of those groups behind the scenes and, and it doesn't seem like it. You know, maybe you you might not expect that, like the, you know, uh, Crips or the Bloods are in bed with the mafia. Right. They right. seem separate groups when in actuality, there's a lot of overlap in those uh, underground uh, networks. And I think secret societies actually uh, work in the same way because secret societies preempted all these criminal networks. I mean, really just a, a criminal gang is just a secret society that chooses to not uh, go with the system uh, of control and, and they're deemed criminals. And then there's also the thought that maybe these secret societies uh, run some of those gangs and criminal outfits as well. I mean, that's entirely possible. All right. So let, can we shift gears here a little bit? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, cuz I wanted to get into cannabis, right? So my wife and I we we occasionally smoke. Maybe we should smoke more often, but you know, I'm grateful that I live in the house that I live in. We own the house, but it's not conducive for us to to cuz we don't have like our own area to do it in, you know what I mean? And I feel like uh I feel like if I smoked more, it would open up my mind to more because I'm I'm a very creative guy. I'm a graphic artist, you know, you know, and, and things along those lines. And I have been high while creating and it's done wonders for me. But um, there's misconceptions, right, that that cannabis is like this party drug. Oh, this party, blah, blah, blah. But 
they don't realize it, it it's has medicinal purposes and it's also it's a useful tool right um can you can you get into that and also like the fact that they're legalizing it now kind of bothers me because it's almost like it's too good to be true that maybe that some of the weed out there isn't like the real weed you know because because it's available to everybody can you get into that a little bit yeah no cool man yeah absolutely i um I, like I said earlier, I've been smoking for like 10 years now, about a decade or more. Um, maybe actually, yeah, like 12 years. I started when I was 16 and I didn't really get into like daily smoking until maybe like 18 when I could afford to smoke every day. Uh, but I personally, for whatever reason, it was like a magnetic thing. Like as soon as I, smoked i was like this is for me you know and i don't think that's true for everybody but back then it was all underground it was all black market stuff and you know the thing about weed is like nobody is making a killing if they're killing their business you know they're killing their uh customers right so you know back then the the best weed was the best weed like that sold for more money and that was what people were into is like who had the best weed uh, you know, now drug culture is kind of like people are always scared of things being laced, right? With weed, it's like there's no incentive for for a drug dealer to lace you unless he's some kind of degenerate that's selling other drugs. You know, he, there's no reason to, to worry about that. So is this really cool atmosphere that I grew up into of like knowing the right guy, finding out who grew the best stuff or who had the best connect. And that was kind of like the culture, right? Like you find who had the best stuff and you could tell when you, when you open up a bag, like it just hits you, hits you. Right. And, and now with the weed that I get, it's not like that anymore, you know? And I don't know if maybe my dealers, 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 dealers are now buying from like the government or they're buying from like big grows that are using like corporate methods or something, but things have changed over the past five years, you know, and it's weird. It's like, you know, I I know some people and it's cool to have like cool people who work, but it's it's they're getting run out of business more and more by these dispensaries because the, you know, average person that just smokes on the weekend or maybe once a month or several times a year or whatever, you know, they they would have kept helped keep a guy in business who's just doing it in for the neighborhood underground, not hurting anybody, just getting by selling some bags, you know, now those guys are going to maybe go out of business, so to speak. Personally, I think, eh, not too worried about that. I think there's always going to be a black market for cannabis, but what bothers me is that now some of the cruddy dispensary weed is getting into the black market, which is just like, you know, it's like, not cured correctly so it doesn't smell the right way it should and then it's also like really dry and crumbles up in your fingers like to dust which is not what it should do you know it should be like moist yeah it should be sticky it should be still like a plant not like a powder you know and uh so you know i don't know if it's just the way things are on the east coast because when i went to colorado in the summer of 2016 the dispensary Uh, there was incredible it was some of the best weed i've ever smoked so clearly in the west coast like things happened first where people were like grassroots about it they cared about the plant and they got into the industry first 
here on the East Coast, they stopped everybody who was in the underground from becoming mainstream. So you have like literally MIT starting a dispensary and they're like, they're not calling it like OG Kush or like Sour Diesel. They're, they're calling it like Asputenness, like, you know, naming it like Latin crap, like to make it seem like pharmaceuticals, you know. And I'll tell you what, like being in Connecticut, I drove up to Mass a couple of times to check, check out their dispensaries. And 80 percent of the time I was disappointed. You know, I got some cool stuff like the edibles are all pretty great. But I would say something's happening for sure. And I think the same thing happened with tobacco. I think the same thing happened with alcohol. Anytime the government comes in and controls something, they they screw it up. They screw up the quality because they don't want people to to enjoy the real benefit of it. They want them to be addicted and, and, and to take advantage of the cash cow because cannabis could be very addicting. You know, I mean, I. I'll admit it. I'm addicted. I also smoke tobacco with the cannabis. So maybe if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have such a, you know, I wouldn't be fiending to smoke. Uh, <laughs> that's what they say around here. I don't know if that that lingo goes outside of Connecticut, but fiending is what we would call it around here. Uh, and yeah, East Coast term, man. Yeah, that's the East Coast. <laughs> but that's kind of my like two cents on like just cannabis, like in my experience with it. I would like say like you know scientifically speaking we're talking about gmos being used now which is terrible i don't think anybody would have ever like underground used like a gmo weed you know but these big dispensaries they're like trying to modify stuff and make the plants like super plants and i just think anytime you do that you're like you're messing with nature you're messing with like the the perfect recipe that nature just naturally creates, you know? So cannabis for people listening who've never smoked it, like don't let me recommend it to you, but I would say it for me, it washed away a lot of like the propaganda that I had experienced growing up, a lot of the like entrainment and like programming, that kind of stuff. And it allowed me to see the world with fresh eyes and really start to build my own uh, philosophy from there. So I don't think that's true for everybody. You know, that some of my buddies that I smoked with like that definitely did not happen for them. You know, they, they went on and did other stuff. And if I talk to them about that, they're like, cool, man, (laughs) you know, like it's, it's just two different worlds. So I think it has a a different effect on everybody. Uh, But what's interesting is it does exactly what you intend it to do in a in a sort of interesting way like i noticed this with people who got really paranoid from smoking weed like they had built up all these expectations around it or maybe because it was illegal at the time they were scared of of being high or getting caught so they would smoke and they would instantly be super paranoid and then that would be the person that you would like here at a party who's like, no, nah, I don't smoke. I get too paranoid, you know, and I would say to people if I had the opportunity who, you know, shared that opinion with me, I'd say, you know, maybe you should try smoking in this like a safe, comfortable spot where, you know, nobody's going to bother you. You know, party's probably not the best place to smoke right. for the first time, you know, like try it like, you know, in the comfort of your own home where, you know, you're not going to be disturbed. You could go and, you know, chill out in bed, take a shower, eat some food, you know, everything's at your disposal. 
for the most part, hopefully, you know, if your life's together. So I would, I would say, yeah, that would be my like recommendation. Cause there is a lot of like psychological things that can happen if you're not ready for it, but that's how we grow in life, you know, through trauma, through sort of like, uh, like you break a bone and it grows back stronger. Like that's the mentality. It might not be scientifically sound, but that's the mentality that I've grown to appreciate as a martial artist of like, you know, work hard and, and push yourself. I think cannabis can kind of show you where you need to push yourself mentally or even spiritually, if you allow it to, to go that far. Um, it can, it can help you see where you're going wrong in life. Um, for me, if I like wake up and like leave the house, <laughs> like driving my car, I'm like road rage and I'll like beat my horn at somebody. And then I go home and I smoke. And I'm like, damn, why was I so road rage on the, like, why was I acting like that? You know, for me, it's always very reflective. It makes me think like uh, really deeply about what, like what I'm doing. And, uh, I, I think that's something everybody should experience. You know, again, I don't want to recommend people smoke if they've never smoked before, but I think everybody should have that in their life, uh, a, a space where they reflect on their actions. Because if you don't, you know, you're going to have like a midlife crisis or something, right? Like that's the whole midlife crisis thing. Like a guy who just works so much that he doesn't even think about, he never reflects on his life until he's already halfway through it. And it's a crisis. He's got to buy a Porsche to, you know, feel, make Compensate. himself feel better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or whatever people do with a midlife crisis. Or I don't start a I'm... podcast. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 50 next year. So I'm like, maybe this is my midlife crisis, man. <laughs> well, I would say if you smoke, you're not only going to get to like think through that in a deep way, like, which I guess you have smoked. I shouldn't say if you, cause you have, but for me, like, it's not going to happen instantly. Like I have to kind of put myself in that place, but yeah, that would be like the, the number one thing I, I recommend because cannabis has like a feminine quality to it. So certain people who may be like a woman who's got a lot of feminine energy, it might not be a good situation for her to smoke weed every day. Cause then she's going to be sort of bringing more of that and it's going to go out of balance, you know, whereas a guy who's like raised to be sort of like a macho guy right. he smokes weed and he's like whoa like i need to chill out you know and i was never really like a macho guy but i've always been like you know rough around the edges so for me cannabis like helps me mellow out and and really think about who i want to be in the world and yeah so tobacco has a masculine energy so now when i smoke i'm smoking a balance it's tobacco and cannabis it's a feminine and masculine energy so when i first started smoking it was all feminine like i would smoke bowls i would smoke out of the bong whatever and that's when a lot of this stuff really started happening but then i integrated that learning so i didn't need to go back i didn't need to keep smoking weed it was actually making me it wasn't good for me to smoke weed straight up you know because i would get too whatever you know it, it was it was sort of like um becoming a problem but now when i smoke cannabis and tobacco it's balanced and it took a few years before it became like more as balanced as it is now but addiction aside it, it's a balanced habit for me you know and yeah i'm sure smoking isn't great 
my voice doesn't always sound like this. I have a scratchy throat today, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think smoking has been like totally misidentified by our modern society. Like people in a hundred, 200 years ago, they would smoke pipe tobacco till they were like a hundred, you know, right. like it wasn't like a health thing back then. It's only because they started spraying pesticides on tobacco and, and rolling them into these cheap little cigarettes with all these chemicals to keep them, you know, from like burning lopsided. You know, that that's what gives people all these lung problems. You know, it's not the plants themselves. If you responsibly use cannabis and tobacco, you could you could be a very healthy person. I don't think it's it's unhealthy to to use those plants. Um, so that would be kind of like all I really can say about right. <laughs> cannabis. <laughs> so, I also so recommend what, people grow ahead. it. I recommend people grow it themselves. You know, like if you're right. going to smoke, like you could either grow it yourself or like know somebody who's like that close to the process. Cause there's something about like, like knowing that your plant is growing like safely, right? Like that you want to, you want to at least be able to connect it back. Like you might not be able to buy from a grower, but like if your dealer's buying from a grower, like, Hey, let me see some pictures of this. Like, let's see what it looks like, you know, cause it's a plant, you know, if you're growing your plant behind your house in a ditch next to a sewer, like that weed's not going to be uh, the same as like somebody who's growing it with like pure water and the best sunlight and all the right conditions, you know, like, so that's important too, is like, know where your bud is coming from, where it's growing and who's growing it. So who who introduced you or how did you get the idea to mix tobacco and, and cannabis? Well, it was just it's just a thing, you know, like the first time I ever smoked, my homie Lamonte rolled us a blunt, you know, so like that was the first time I ever smoked. I didn't get high, though. That was interesting. Like the first time I ever smoked weed, I did not get high. I was just like, wow. that was weird. It's weird. Yeah, I was like, that was weird. And I was young. I was I was 16. So it was like, you know. I, and I didn't feel so comfortable with it because I was on, on the wrestling team and I was like, eh, this might affect, you know, my wrestling. I really liked wrestling. I wanted to like do well. Uh, but then I saw Eddie Bravo on YouTube, like taking a bong rip and doing all this jujitsu. And he's a legend, like training some of the best fighters. So I'm like, huh. And then I see Bruce Lee was smoking yeah. weed and, and using weed in some of his training and he wrote about it in his books so i'm like okay this is a no-brainer so i started like smoking and training and and you know it wasn't until a little bit later that i started smoking like every day and uh yeah i don't know man it's just it was always like it was for at first it was like just getting high but then as i got a little older i'm like no i like the blunt and the weed i prefer that and then Amos kind of confirmed why I preferred it. It wasn't that he like recommended I do it, but it was like, I already sort of intuitively got there. And then he was like, you know, gave me the uh, understanding that I, I was looking for of like, well, you, you probably like this better because it's a balanced way to do it. Tobacco is masculine. Cannabis is feminine. He actually told me that cannabis has been growing in the new world for a long time, way before the colonists got here. And he said that Native Americans would smoke blunts like that was one of the things they would do is roll weed into tobacco leaves going way back, like hundreds of years. Wow. So, and that's like what's interesting is with these illegal drugs or drugs that have become illegal, 
you know, there's not the same history as like ayahuasca or, or maybe like peyote where it was more cultural and like there's some like cannabis has sort of a blank space uh, in the history of like how people were using it and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know how true that is. It's something Amos told me he could have like heard it from somebody who is lying or whatever, <laughs> but I, I think it's true. And, and that always kind of made me feel unique. You know, the America, we kind of like invented the cigar and the cigarette, like the rest of the world, they were just smoking with pipes until uh, they came over here and brought tobacco back to the to Europe and everywhere else. Like they were just smoking out of pipes and opium freaking tubes or whatever people, you know, hookahs, right? Those things uh, over here, they were actually like smoking like the whole plant, you know? And I think that there's something about that. Like you're, you're not holding on to this like piece of junk that has a bunch of like gross smells coming out of it. It's like you have it, you roll it, you smoke it, it's gone. You know, it's, and, it's and you're, you're closer to nature with it. Yeah. It's less technological, you know, like a bong, a pipe, a pipe, maybe not so much, but like, you know, that kind of stuff. It just felt like technology, you know, blunt's very natural. Exactly. So, um, have you tried uh, psychedelics at all? Have you delved in that realm at all? Yeah. Yeah. When I was in the fraternity, that was like where I got exposed to that, you know, through like people partying and stuff. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely like it's been a while since I've done any psychedelics. It's an interesting, like, you know, part of my life because I feel like I use psychedelics intentionally when other people were just using them to party not to put myself on a high horse or anything no but like i, I like just, i said with weed weed got, has that that stigma <clears throat> of it being like a party thing when it's yeah. not necessarily just that it could be used as a tool you know right and when i when i found like people who had access to that kind of stuff it, i had already read a bit about shamanism and i was really fascinated with shamanism because i'm like oh why is this thing happening to me while i'm smoking weed there must be like an explanation for this like spiritual feeling i have like because before that, you know, church had made me thought think like God was fake. Like I just church was so boring. I'm like, they, these guys are scammers. This is just a scam to get people to to be a part of something for their whole life. And I didn't really understand religion. So I just rejected it. And cannabis kind of brought me back to like understanding that I have a soul and that God is an actuality, which again, you know, maybe not everybody agrees with that. But I personally have been like it's been proven to me through my relationship with nature and through cannabis. And I guess I tried to explain that. And uh, for me, that was always enough. But then like the allure of, of going into another dimension or whatever by doing mushrooms, you know, so I tried, I tried mushrooms and whatnot. I did acid and, you know, I was always very like pragmatic about it. Like, okay, I'm taking it. I'm going to go hang out at home. I'm going to do this. Like I had a plan. I wasn't like, all right, time to trip today. Who knows what will happen? Like maybe once or twice with the right friends, I did that. But for the most part, every time I did psychedelics, I had like a constructive goal in mind. And I got that from reading about shamanism and understanding like what a rite of passage is and like understanding like from martial arts about like going through something and becoming stronger for for it right and some of those psychedelic experiences were really like strenuous like they weren't like comfortable uh, you go you go to some really uncomfortable places with like 
mushrooms and LSD sometimes. And I'm, I, you know, I wasn't raised with like a silver spoon or anything. So my life hasn't been all perfect. You know, I grew up with like alcoholism in my family and, you know, my dad worked like way too much, barely was home. So I think psychedelics, you know, probably uh, straightened me out a little bit where maybe other people who didn't have a rough upbringing, it might spin them out. You know, I think people who kind of grow up and have like a good foundation, they might do psychedelics and it might do something different for them. Right. Sure. Whereas for me, it kind of helped me understand where I was missing some places in life or maybe where I needed to focus my attention. And, you know, I'm just a podcaster. So it's not like I'm, I'm the head of like a for, fortune 500 company or anything, but uh, it definitely helped me uh, like become a, like a normal person. I don't know. Probably sounds like something a crazy person would say, but that that's how I felt when I was younger. Like I'm crazy. Like other people don't get me and psychedelics kind of brought me to this place of like, Oh no, everybody's kind of looking for the same thing. You know, we're just all like doing different, like going about it in different ways. And for me to find uh, the way was very confident, like brought a lot of confidence. And that's what I was always really like looking for was confidence. You know, I didn't have a lot of confidence when I was younger. Uh, so psychedelics definitely played into uh, like becoming a man for me. Um, and I don't really like, it's not like something I want to do very much, you know, like I like the idea of being able to do psychedelics again, but I don't like personally, like I don't have any on me. I'm not going to like go out and buy some just to have, some. you know, it's not like weed where I want to like smoke, uh, I think psychedelics, you have to have like an intention, like it's a ceremony, you know, so you got to be ready to like get into that ceremonial space, be there and then integrate that experience uh, afterwards and and not just like chase the dragon, you know, because I think psychedelics can do that to certain people where they get caught up in like the the ecstasy of mysticism, but they don't integrate any of that that into their actual life. So they just keep looking for it in the you know, trippy world. Right, right. Yeah, the reason why I brought it up is because uh, I've always been interested in it. I've never done it before. And I'm trying to find a way to get into that. I just don't know where to start. And I know mushrooms, you get like limited time with mushrooms, right? There's only like a certain amount of time with mushrooms where you're in this whatever world. Whereas like there's other psychedelics where you're in it for longer, where it's prolonged, I guess. Am I right or am I saying I think you're no, it's okay. I, I want to correct you because this could be a, a fatal error. <laughs> uh, DMT might be what you're thinking of because DMT is known as the businessman's trip. It's like uh, 15 minutes and you're done. Mushrooms, you could end up tripping on mushrooms for a whole 12 hours. So if you thought, yeah. you know, I'm glad I told you that because if you thought mushrooms, no, would be no. Open well, this is the deal because <laughs> this is the deal. I want the prolonged one. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like when I do this, I don't want to come out wanting to go back in, right? Uh, because I have uh, let's say unfinished business. Mm. I want to do it because I want to go in, figure out what it is yeah. that I need to do, cool. and then and and then when I'm out, I'm I, I I'm I've already have my answers, so to speak, or yeah. at least most of them, not all of them, you know. I would say I would say with mushrooms, you know. The biggest thing that I realized after doing them was that it's not like a uh, another world that you go to. 
DMT, from what people have told me, that's what that's like. You know, I think a lot of people think of psychedelics, they might think they're all the same. Mushrooms, you know, I don't think people have like visuals the same way they have visuals with DMT. Uh, mushroom visuals are more like, you know, things you'd see at like a light show, like streams of light and like kind of the, 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 patterns of your room are like kind of moving and you're noticing things that you might not have noticed uh, with your normal consciousness. Mushrooms is something I would recommend people do in nature or like if you have like a big backyard and you can just chill in your backyard all night or whatever, and you don't feel like an alligator is going to come and bite you in the leg or something like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. You're in Florida, so who knows? But uh, <laughs> yeah, but probably you could actually you could find mushrooms pretty easily in Florida. If I understand correctly, they grow um, all over Florida where cows are. Pastured. Yeah. Cow patties, you know, that you get them in cow patties, but yeah, I, mean, so I, I, don't, I don't want, I don't want to be seen running, you know, yeah, <laughs> like you a ninja be on a farmer's cow patties, land. You know? <laughs> yeah. You might not want to get caught up on a Florida farmer's land. He might take <laughs> yeah. it out on you. you know? Yeah. I'll get shot with a shotgun and then bitten in the ass by a gator, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I would say, yeah, the mushrooms could be a, a great experience uh, if you use them correctly and go into it with the right intention and, you know, maybe have your, your wife there, uh, who's not on, you know, have somebody there who's not on psychedelics who can kind of like comfort you if you get a little out there. Cause I've had experiences with like, for instance, like a girlfriend that I, you know, not my current girlfriend, but in the past, um, where like we were both on psychedelics and she freaked out and then it's like, I'm on psychedelics too. And it's like, what the hell, you know, what, what can I do? Like nothing because I'm tripping too. So, right. you know, it, it could get you in some risky situations. And, uh, luckily that didn't end up, you know, too badly, but, uh, definitely like rifted our relationship, you know? So right. you want, you want to be careful with, uh, with those kind of psychedelics, you know, uh, maybe have a, a what they call a trip sitter you know although I'm kind of a hypocrite because i've never had a trip sitter but uh i've also like gone into it with that intention of like i'm gonna take care of myself but here's the deceptive thing is like sometimes you get to a state of mind where you can't take care of yourself like i remember one time driving on mushrooms thinking i'm the boss i'm the best driver in the world nothing can stop me and I look in the car and my three friends are freaked out because they're like, dude, this guy, he's going to kill us. You know, he's driving too fast. And I'm, I'm thinking all, everything's rosy, like I, everything's beautiful, like life's great. And they're like, dude, slow down. <laughs> There's a stop sign. Right, you know? right. And I've even had those uh, reactions while I was sober driving. So uh, well, I don't know what that says about me as a driver. <laughs> got a little bit of that Chinese delivery driver. Uh, yeah, that's energy, it. You know, got a rush to that destination. Okay. But uh yeah, I, I don't recommend getting behind a motor vehicle ever uh, on psychedelics for sure. But cannabis, as a matter of fact, I'm like, I'm kind of bummed that it's becoming legal because now they're going to like breathalyze you for weed, which is just ridiculous because it's stupid. Yeah, there's no way there's no way to like legally per, like justify that. You know, there's no one solid measurement that you could say like, oh, yep, you're too stoned to drive. I've been smoking every day. I've been smoking longer than I've had a driver's license. Every time I've been behind the wheel, I've been high and I've never been in an accident that 
well, I've been in a few accidents, but they were all caused by other drivers. So, yeah, right. That doesn't count. <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of, but still, you know, so so that would be like personally, you know, again, not making a sweeping endorsement for everybody, but like I've always found that cannabis gets me more focused, more in tune. And I love driving while I'm high. I think it's it's one of my favorite pastimes is just go for a cruise and see what's right. out there. And synchronicity usually delivers some, uh, you know, when you don't have a destination, you end up finding a better destination kind of thing, you know, like you, you just sort of aimlessly drive and, and you find cool stuff. <laughs> you know, do you know who Chaz of the Dead is by any chance? Yeah, yeah I, I, I interviewed him. Uh, he lives here in Florida. So I was thinking of maybe because I know oh, he, he, he deals with. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about about, you know, hitting him up and, and maybe heading out his way. You know, talk to him about it, maybe staying with him a night or something and just try. I feel like it's something that I need to do. But um, let me segue into crystals because I know you're big on crystals. And to most people, crystals like what is crystals or why should I have crystals? They, ju- they just sit there. What, what's the purpose of them? You know, what do they do? You know, so what 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 is so special about crystals or what what can, what can be so special about crystals? A lot, a lot. I think crystals are just one, uh, they're just another aspect of our natural world. You know, it's like, like I was saying before about consciousness being everywhere. Like, you know, people might look at a tree and think like, oh, tree, that doesn't have a, a mind. It can't think, you know, but in a sense, a tree does have a mind. It's able to tell where the sun is and grow its branches in that direction some people might say well well it just senses the warmth dummy like eh, yeah but that's 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 a mind you know that's what a mind does right so everything has a mind crystals have a mind crystals i mean the more you learn about crystals the crazier it gets some of the things that you can find out about crystals are pretty astonishing and tell you a lot about the weird world we live in one of the things is that crystals pattern can change over time they evolve right so a crystal isn't like a static thing that's always the same it evolves over time so your uh, crystals have changed like those that you have right there oh i'm talking about crystals in the earth right so we're okay, talking okay about, i'm like, sorry yeah no it's all right like this is this is like a end of the road right so like this is selenite right this came out of the earth at one point at one point, the earth was so pressurized or however this crystal was made, it physically formed, right? right. And then somebody came along, they ch- chopped it off with a hammer and sold it at a store. But crystals actually grow in the earth, just like a plant grows. You know, you cut a flower, you give it to somebody as a bouquet. Three weeks later, they're all like crusty and, and, and black, right? Like they're, they're gone. They're rotted away. And crystals are kind of like that over a long, long scope of time they can change in the earth, right? So selenite as it's formed today may be different 200 years from now. The crystal pattern that forms has evolved. It's still selenite, but it's evolved. Um, and, and crystals, they carry a certain vibration, a certain frequency because of those uh, actions that took place in the earth. So, you know, some crystals are made from pressure. Some are made from sediments. Uh, which is also kind of a form of pressure. Some are superheated, some are super cooled. You know, there's all sorts of variations that, that go into like how crystals are formed in the earth. Uh, but that energy is compacted and compressed into this 
you know, physical thing that you can hold in your hand and, you know, our body being however much percentage water can take on that frequency that the crystal uh, manifests or, or projects. And, you know, it's, it's something that humans have picked up on for thousands of years. You know, we find crystals in some of the most ancient uh, archaeological sites where they dig up, you know, a spear point and it's got like a little crystal, which doesn't seem like it would have a, a use as a tool, but it does because there's this sort of uh, spiritual or conscious purpose for it existing. Um, and then <clears throat> with um, really, I mean, your average crystal, it could do a variety of things, but it's a consciousness. It's a sort of uh, a pattern that that is somewhat fixed. Again, it's not totally solid. It's not totally, there's some fluidity with the energy and the way the energy projects from crystals. But ever since I've had crystals in my life, I've sort of felt like, an integration process has taken place. I've sort of rounded out these influences. And now when I sit here at my desk and I have all these crystals around me, they're subtly influencing me and my consciousness. Right. Um, and it, it, it's, you know, it's not something that I'm totally versed in. Like I don't know all the physics and the geometry of it and, and how to explain it mathematically, but that understanding is available for people. I think it's just, you know, it's sort of uh, one of those things that is hard to grasp for someone who wasn't maybe, uh, well, for most people who are raised in our culture where we're taught like things are material and things are for the most part like dead, right? We have this idea that we live in this like dead world, uh, uh, things that die and like they become part of the earth, but really the earth is living. It's like constantly pushing these crystals out and some people think that crystals have a message, right? And they they store energy from the earth. And, you know, a message really is just like information, energy. And let's say the earth is like experiencing everything that's going on on it and then recording those energies into these crystals that then go pushed out to the surface where people who are contributing to that energy then interact with this like upgrade like hey here's the upgrade here's here's what you did like learn from that and and change your energy so that we don't keep repeating that you know it's we're getting into some heavy metaphysics right now and <laughs> i apologize to people no are, no it's cool um it, it kind of reminds me of like superman and the crystals and the fortress yeah. of solitude that have messages encoded in that kind of yeah. you know oh yeah well you can literally encode messages on a crystal that's how computers work i mean computers use crystals um because cr crystals hold more information than you know uh, i think at the time they had like all these different options and they're like no we got to go with silica quartz because this is gonna hold all the information and yeah it's 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 something that's accounted for in a lot of the megalithic structures around the world they have a high amount of quartz in their uh, makeup like the granite has quartz in it because right. granite is, is not just one solid single thing it's a composite of different materials uh, so you have this <clears throat> effect where 
quartz can actually conduct electricity, you know? So if this is conducting electricity and then I go and put both my hands on it, now I have like a circuit, you know, my energy is flowing through this crystal in a way, right? Again, you know, we could, we might lose some of the audience, but I think it's, it's something that like cannabis or, or psychedelics, you have to experience yourself to have a, a real understanding of, I, I can explain it to people, but unless they go and buy a crystal and, right. and have it with them in their life, uh, they may not uh, understand. And I think some people have crystals and they, they don't necessarily have the same understanding I do, but it works on them in the same way. You know, it's going to, no matter what, whether you're aware of it or not, a crystal is a crystal. It's going to do what a crystal does. You know, uh, it's like kind of like even like a placebo effect, right? Like a placebo is kind of, you know, if I if I told myself that this crystal is, you know, going to heal me, maybe it might because the placebo effect is a real thing. You know, it doesn't mean the crystal is actually healing me, but if I didn't have it, I wouldn't be healed. So like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg in that situation, you know? <laughs> Yeah, the reason I asked it because I'm I'm interested in it, but also I, I know that you weren't going to be able to explain it or or have people totally understand it. But at least if it piques their interest enough to go and do the research themselves, to me, yeah. I I think that's a, a, a I'll take that as a win. A few more a few more things, dude, because I want to be respectful of your time. Um, and then we'll, we'll call it a a, a night. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you because you know I know you're into the conspiracy theory stuff. Um, have you had any? paranormal experiences no i you know that's the one thing that sort of disappointing is like I've never, <laughs> yeah I've, I've always been fascinated with this right, stuff right. but i really haven't ever been like an experiencer maybe it's because personally i'm very skeptical like and that's why i'm like maybe better at researching than others because i'm like pretty skeptical about what i learn like i have a pretty high criteria before i'm like okay this is something i believe in um, although I, I, I love that subject and I'm like, yeah, these people must be experiencing something. I personally haven't experienced it. Um, uh, maybe I have some kind of like subconscious bias that I haven't gotten over yet, but I'm friends with Tony Merkel. I think one day he'll probably invite me down to one of these dog man hunts. That right. On. So maybe, yeah. maybe I could go hit up Tony and, uh, and do one of those and see what happens. He, he had me on his show twice. Right on. Oh, you. Yeah. Oh, so you've had some paranormal. Experience. Oh, yeah. My my whole life is a paranormal experience, man. Yeah, <laughs> I got to have you on my show now. All right. All right. Cool. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I could send you the links if you want. I mean, do you know I'm no more Slevic by any chance? No, no more. No more. No more Slevic. He, he's he's out around your way. He's in Maine. OK. Um. He, he he's a, a rapper. I mean, I've known him for years. He He's a. Uh, He's a rapper, but then he became a paranormal investigator and he has his own um, his own show. And I'll send you links to that, too, as well. But you should have him on your show. And then, you know, you know who I would love. I'm just going to give you a, a, a person that you should have on your show. I've been wanting to get this person for a long time. He's he's a, a urban artist, but he's more than that. Mir One. Have you ever heard of Mir One? No. How would I spell that first? Uh, M-E-A-R. It- right. O-N-E. Look him up. Okay. Oh my God, he, I, I've been wanting that guy for the longest time. I'm I'm in dialogue with um his assistant. He's just been super busy, but I think he'd be great for your show more than he would be for mine. Even though I'm like a fanboy, but <laughs> um 
I'll but yeah, it. so I'll I'll send you links to that. But uh, the last thing that I have for you is like, what advice would you give to someone, um, as far as like how to be independent? Because like for instance, you know, I'm I'm gonna be fifty next year. I'm still working a regular nine to five. I've been having that dream of not having to do that. I'd rather be doing this nine to five. You know, like what would you tell somebody? Like how how like what what type of uh frame of mind? should they have because i know you talk a lot about this thing called mind power mm. yeah you know the the whole law of attraction mind power stuff is is definitely a big part of like my my past where like i started learning about that stuff around that same time that i uh dropped out of college and and really got into this idea of like oh i could do it all myself and every all my potential is right here within me let's make the most of it so as long as you have that foundation of like believing in yourself, right? And that's probably one of the more difficult things you can recommend to somebody is like, hey, well, you just got to believe in yourself because when you don't believe in yourself, it's hard to hear that. You know, it's like, dude, what are you talking about? Believe in myself, you know, but you truly have to believe in yourself. And I don't mean aggrandize yourself and think you're like the next prophet or something, but know that you're, you're, you have a purpose, know that you are important, know that you are a spiritual being who came here to have an important experience. doesn't mean that you have to be important to other people, but it's important to you, you know, and, and we've taken, uh, you know, so much from ourselves because of society and, and all of us are, are kind of born in this position of, of less than. And if we could only see ourselves as more than, you know, in a healthy way, and we might be more uh, able to accomplish these things. I mean, as a wrestler, I learned pretty quickly, you know, in high school and whatnot, like uh, what hard work could do for you. You know, I started as like a 140 pound, six foot one skinny guy. And I end up being the captain of my team at 180 pounds and, you know, still a skinny guy wrestling like really even bigger guys at the 160 weight class. But I believed in myself. And, and even though, you know, I had barely a winning record and, you know, I, I was I was not one of the best captains on the team. I was really proud of what I accomplished. And um and maybe for people who haven't had that experience, it might take pushing yourself outside of your boundaries and, and setting a goal and, and accomplishing it. And you've already done that with uh, with this podcast, Chris. You said you wanted to record 10. You're at 18 now. You know, your goal's 20. I would challenge you to make your next goal 100 and say to yourself, I'm going to do 100 podcasts. And you don't have to do that all this month or next month or even by the end of the year. But just yeah. know that you're going to stick with it enough to get there and you're going to have a hundredth episode and you're going to invite your favorite guest that you've had on in those hundred ninety nine episodes before that, you know, and 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 be proud of that, you know, and visualize what that looks like. You know, I think that's the biggest thing is is people. They set their expectations. Yes, maybe that could fail. Maybe you could let yourself down. But if you visualize and you charge that visualization with confidence rather than doubt then you're not going to let yourself down because even if you fail you'll know where to go next right because the 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 beauty about failing is that you have a lesson that's learned right a failure is only worth the lesson that you learn from it right so that's that's the the thing about 
setting expectations is even if you expect something that doesn't come to fruition, like charge that beforehand. So when you get there, you're like, you're happy because you did it. You know, I mean, you may not have did it to the point that you thought you would have, but you did more than you had back when you started. Right. So that's something to be proud of. And, and I think that's a little bit about like, you know, mind power and, and, you know, so many people are, are born again, thinking like they're less than that. They even are, uh, you know, not able to get into this mindset of, of thinking powerfully. Cause they're like, who am I? I'm, you know, I'm just a humble so-and-so, but you're not, you're a human being, you know, you have a purpose and we all need to stand up right now and, and be purposeful because our world has gone, uh, to, you know, hell in a handbasket because of the purposelessness of the majority of people who just want to be like the boomers were and, 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 you know, spend all their money and live all their days. Like the, you know, that vacation mindset, uh, you know, that's not lead. That's not constructive. We need to be thinking about the seven generations ahead of us, you know, not just about my life and what I'm going to do when I'm in my seventies and I better be retired by then and be living in Florida, <laughs> uh, you know, and that, like, that's my grandparents, you know, like they're boomers. They did that whole thing. And like, I totally understand their mindset. Uh, at least I think I do. They'd probably differ with that. Um, but yeah, I think that's the, the big thing is that generation was so focused on themselves that it made uh, it made a psychological impact on the rest of us. That's a whole topic for another episode. Right. But yeah, that's the main thing is like, don't let people get you down thinking that you can't do it. And, and, and when you have the idea of like, all right, I'm going to do this, visualize what that's going to feel like and feel that now, because if you can feel that now you're already halfway there. Right. The only difference between where you are right now and where you want to be is time and time is an illusion because when you get there it's now it's always right. going to be now right if you're a ceo of a company like that's the now you weren't always you weren't born a ceo but that's your now right so it's kind of a contradictory thing to get your head wrapped around but when you can you start to feel like oh, okay i'm the man right like that kind of thing like i'm the man all right yeah i i can do this that's who i am i'm the podcast guy Right. You're, whatever it is you're, you're, you know, thinking of of becoming uh, that's you got to be it now. There's no in between. It's here now. It's it's right. a transformation that you have to make now. So that's and then once you make that transformation, you'll do everything it takes to be that person. Right. Because you are that person. You know, it's not about putting it off until you become that person. It becomes, oh, what does it look like to be successful? That's how I need to act right now. Right. What do the most successful people do? That's what I'm going to do today, because then you're going to be that much closer to that. And again, you know, I I have a podcast that's done pretty well, but it could it could be doing better. So who knows where I'll be in five years with this mindset? I hope I'm in the top 10 of all of the uh, society and culture genre podcast. But right now I'm in the top 10 of all the philosophy podcast so there you go smaller group but i feel like that's an accomplishment and if that says anything about the power mindset like maybe that can inspire people who are still a little doubtful well dude you have a great show and uh the intro is an awesome intro 
uh what what who is that group i remember you mentioning it in a podcast what group is that yeah destiny lab and destiny you know lab. all the music i use on the podcast i uh i write it all down in the episode description so in the episode description you can go you can click destiny lab and it'll take you to their website they have a right. youtube channel his name is uh ark he's got a, a brother named neo and these dudes have been on my podcast twice they're both really cool dudes. They're great rappers. Uh, and Ark actually does a lot of cool research too. So he's he's right. not just someone to to make a song for your podcast. He could be a guest on your podcast. But yeah, it was cool because I just kind of met them like through Instagram and said, hey, you want to be a guest on my show? And then one thing led to another. And I was like, dude, you want to write uh, you know, a song for my intro? Like I want an intro song that says like my family thinks I'm crazy, like conspiracy, yeah. like themed. And he's like, you know boom done like sent me it like a few days later and and it's just it's been are, rock are they are they from connecticut or no i just uh met them online i think they live out in the uh, west coast but uh then okay. i met another another rapper named uh, halizna who's out of pittsburgh and he made the songs that i use for the outro i have three songs that i switch up right. for the outro depending on the vibe of the show and they're all rap songs written by uh written by Halizna, who's in who's a really cool dude he puts his music all out for free on free music archive and i i paid him for the ones that he did specifically for me but he's a good dude he puts a lot of music out there for free and i think more artists uh should do that because you know yes you should get paid for your work but this guy he's figured out how to give out something free and then get paid for you know other musical abilities that he right has. right Yes, yeah. a new uh, new mindset to to being a musician on the internet, and I think more people should take his approach. Yeah, that that the particularly the intro uh, just brings me back to the golden age of hip -hop, of hip hop, like when you know you had really awesome beats, and then lyrically, you know, it had like it was uh you know lyrical, it had really good content to it, rather than just you know rapping about how much money you got, but um. Well, Mark, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This was an excellent, yeah, excellent episode. Chris, I want to invite you to be on my show, man. The My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. We could talk about your paranormal experiences. We could Whatever, talk about dude. underground rap yeah. and all the other things that we connected on. Because there's a lot of common ground here. And I really appreciate you inviting me on the show, man. Yeah, I had to. It, it, it would have been a would have been a failure on my part if I didn't invite oh, you. And no, honestly, no. I'll be honest with you, man. But uh, but thanks a lot. And uh you know, keep doing what you're doing, Mark, honestly. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, we'll do this again. Just tell me when you want me and I'm all yours. Okay, brother? Right on. All right, bro. Thanks a lot, brother. No problem. Peace.